Gospel of Luke, please, chapter 15. <clears throat> Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. And verse number 1. Luke chapter 15 and verse number 1. Then drew near unto him, that is the Lord Jesus, <clears throat> all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. Now, I have another text that I want to read, but I want to pause and ask you to let the impact of this statement really resonate in your soul. It's a text, of course, that <clears throat> has occasioned some humor. Um, many of you have heard the story of the little child who, having heard this, was terrified because she didn't hear it correctly, she thought the verse said, this man receiveth sinners and eateth them. Well, the Lord Jesus, and I say this reverently, is not a cannibal, and uh, certainly that's not in the text. I will tell you another story <clears throat> that is much sweeter, and since I know the man who did it, it, it makes it particularly nice. There was a lady who was attending gospel meetings, and she was struggling desperately to understand how the gospel genuinely applied to her. And one night, this brother read this text. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Now, don't get ahead of me, but her name was Edith. <laughs> and when she heard the text read, this is what she heard. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And she came to Christ. Isn't that sweet? So sometimes, you know, the power of the word is incredible, even if people don't fully understand it. Uh, this is a living book, and God is able to take it and use it in ways that you and I, in all of our intelligence and wisdom, would never imagine. But let me just let this verse resonate with us. His enemies intended that this would be the crowning insult that would end the public ministry of Christ. They thought to play on the on the on the prejudices and the class warfare that existed in that day. And so in their little huddle, they decided, this will be the coup de grace. This will be the, the final blow. And when the moment comes, they, uh, they deliver this terrible statement. This statement that is going to end everything. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And all I can say is, is that God must have laughed out loud. And for those of you who know me, when I speak about God, I speak with absolute reverence. But the God who sits in the heaven laughs at the foolishness and the stupidity of men. The Bible says so. Let me tell you that God has lifted these words and covered them with pure gold. And if there's a front room in heaven, it's hanging on the wall. Because you and I wouldn't be there if this verse was not true. Anybody? Not a soul here. I will be eternally grateful to God for His Son as the one who receives sinners. Now I want to read one other text. 
I'm going to take this text up in a very different way in a moment, but I, I do want to read what Brother Barber has already referred to, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> he is terrifying me this weekend because every time he gets up, he threatens to steal what I have in mind, and, and that's actually a, a wonderful thing. It's good to be terrified when you're up here. If you're not terrified when you get behind the pulpit, you should sit down immediately because you have no idea why you're up there. But secondly, it's a good sign that the Holy Spirit is working when men who live thousands of miles apart come to a conference and the Holy Spirit has spoken in very similar ways. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 then, and reading in at verse number 7. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 7, Paul is reflecting on his work among the Thessalonian believers. And this goes back to before they were saved. We sometimes read this as a discipleship course. I'm not persuaded. I think in many ways this section reflects his behavior before they were saved. And would you say, brother, it carries on into new believers and their discipling, but I don't think that's where it begins. Verse number 7, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. The word nurse here is literally a nursing mother. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you also, not the gospel of God only. I thought that's what preachers did. They preach. Well, yes, they do. But there's more. Because he said, also, our own souls, because you were dear unto us. And you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. And now we move into the section, I think, that is more particularly apropos to their Christian experience, that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And God will bless the reading of his word, together with what we've already been listening to. I want to speak about the importance of a Christian home in the spread of the gospel. Now, I don't think that I have heard this topic addressed very often, if at all, and it is a real burden to me because I think that in North America, we have often thought that gospel preaching is linked with gospel preachers and with preaching in gospel halls and preaching in tents and maybe even 
I grew up, brother, you thrilled my heart, actually. I grew up preaching in the open air, and um, I could tell you some wonderful stories about what God has done through open air preaching. And I am sorry that in many of our communities today, people no longer gather in the town square where it is legal to preach, but they gather at the mall where it is illegal to preach. And the devil has used culture in a way to shut off the vast majority of people who now are inside where we cannot publicly reach them. You know, preaching is a very, very important thing. It is God's premier way of heralding the gospel of His grace throughout the world. And of course, Romans chapter 10 reminds us, how shall they hear uh, unless they hear a preacher? And how beautiful are the feet of them that carry the, the tidings of, of, of good news, the gospel of peace. But the difficulty is, and the question that many of us are asking and, and struggling with is, how do we get people to hear preaching? You know, we, when, when, when I was a boy, even going back into the 1950s, um, people in America basically had very little. We've undergone a material transformation just in, in my 60 years or more of, of lifetime. When, when I was a child, um, most people did not have a television. Uh, very few people had, there was no such thing as the internet. Um, people lived relatively simple lives. They got up in the morning, they, you know, they had their eggs and toast, they went to work, they came home, they spent time with their wives and families, they went to bed and started over again. And so anything that came along, like the gospel or gospel meetings or a gospel tent or a gospel preacher, at least there was some curiosity and there was some opportunity in their schedule to, to come and listen. But, but think about what people do today. My neighbor is not a mother, she's a taxi driver. Between ballet lessons and soccer, and this dear lady gets up at 6 o'clock in the morning, she collapses into bed at 11 o'clock at night, and her life is so full that regardless of what her interests are, whatever little voice from God that she might hear, she's just too busy. And that reflects the culture at large. And the sad truth is, is that materialism, when, let's just make some really plain statements. Where people do not feel material need, they very likely do not feel spiritual needs as well. America is rich. America is self-satisfied. There are very few openings in middle class America for the gospel. So I'm going to tell you a secret. People don't come to gospel meetings anymore because they get a random invitation on their door or lying in their yard. People come to gospel meetings for one single solitary reason, and it is this. Because they were brought there by someone that they know and trust. Now, I'm going to go back over what I just said because we have a sovereign God. And there are still occasionally people who get invitations. They come to meeting and God saves them. Don't ever tell God what he can and cannot do. But I'm reflecting on the fact that I preach the gospel two or three hundred times a year in all sorts of communities, under all sorts of circumstances, 
and I'm here to testify today before God, that the vast majority of people who are brought to Christ are brought through a relationship with a believer that they come to know and trust. The biggest asset that most believers own is their home. Is that a surprise to anybody here? Now, if you've got millions of dollars parked away in the bank somewhere, God bless you. But the fact of the matter is, is that the, the thing that most of us have that is of greatest value is our home. So I want to ask you a rather provocative and almost insulting question. Did you get some special permission from God to not use your home as a tool for evangelizing the people who live around you? You see, that is the importance of what I read about the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 15. And I'm not interested today in turning our hearts to do what I do or what Brother Clive does or what Brother Dan does. Let us look at the example of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus influenced people for the kingdom of God by receiving them and eating with them. So I want to confront some very complicated truths this afternoon. Not complicated, really. They're actually simple. But unfortunately, we have shut them out of our thinking. I, I want to resurrect them for you and help you to think about them before God. You know, what I'm going to teach today is nothing new. Many of you will have heard of a man named C.T. Studd, one of the Cambridge Seven, a very wealthy man in England in the late 1800s who committed his life to the Lord Jesus. He gave away his fortune, and uh, many of you know him because he wrote a hymn that you all know, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And Mr. Studd lived that out. He went to China as a missionary, later to India. He died in Africa. But he wrote a little piece of poetry that most people haven't heard, and I'm very fond of it. He just said this. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Now, I'm just going to tell you that I never use the word hell disrespectfully. I think it needs to be reserved for a real place that lost souls go to, because that's what the Lord Jesus said. Hell is not a bad vacation or an unpleasant neighbor. But what Mr. Studd was saying very respectfully is that the gospel does not begin here behind a pulpit. The gospel begins in your neighborhood. It begins in your relationships. It begins in your home. So I have some really awkward questions to ask. You're free to squirm if you need to. How are you seen in your neighborhood? What do your neighbors think about you? I uh, sat next to a man on a plane the other day, flying back from the West Coast. He was watching a movie called Grumpy Old Men. I thought maybe that was about some of the brethren I knew. Apparently it wasn't. Um, 
Are, are we, the, are we the, 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 the nasty old guy that yells at the neighborhood children because they run their bicycle across six inches of my lawn? Sisters, you're not going to get away on this one. Are you the lady that stands in line and argues with the cashier for two hours over five cents on your grocery bill? Really? Are we just cranky old kooks who are unhappy with everyone and everything around us? I just got one thing to say. This man receiveth sinners. He didn't repel them. He received them and eateth with them. Uncomfortable question number two. Do you know your neighbors? No, 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 no easy answers here. What's their names? Husband and wife. Children, preferably in order. Do you know them? What do they like? What are they afraid of? What do they want out of life? Because this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. He comes to know them. And in knowing them, knows their need and is able to lead them to himself. In your neighborhood, there is snow that needs to be shoveled. And it's not in front of your house. In your neighborhood, there are leaves that need to be raked. Boy, is that timing good. In your neighborhood, there are casseroles that need to be distributed because this man receiveth sinners. This man looks to the needs of others. And in a narcissistic, self-centered, ego-driven world, there was a holy man of God who cared more about others and their needs than his own comforts. Is your home open to others? If a child was scared or hurt, is your home the home that they would run to? If there was a woman who was frightened because of an abusive situation, would she think of you for shelter and love? Our world is full of hurting and weeping people. I have absolutely no time for people who tell me there's no opportunity for the gospel. I know ostriches don't put their heads in the sand, but sometimes the brethren do. This is a world that is replete with opportunity. Broken hearts that need to be mended by Christ. Empty souls that need to be filled with the gospel. Don't give me, I don't believe a word of it, but this is not a time of rich gospel opportunity. The real problem today is it's a time of laziness by believers who are blind to the need that's around them. Now, you may never invite me back, that's okay, I'm busy. But the bottom line is this, our homes need to be a place of warm hospitality and grace 
a place where giving and sharing are the norm and where the love of Christ can be seen in real, practical, shoe-leather ways. Are we doing that? And if we're not, when do you plan to start? You know, it comes down to very practical things. <clears throat> I've lived in the same home for 35 years. When I came, I was just a little boy, really, in many ways. Everybody was older than me. Today, I'm the old man of my neighborhood. And you know, even neighbors who are at odds with each other come to us for reconciliation. They're looking for wisdom, for help, for advice. And who better than a person who is representing the Lord Jesus to pour calm even into domestic struggles? And above all, brothers and sisters, bring them into your home. Because this man receiveth sinners, and he eateth with them. You know, a visit to a Christian home to an unbeliever should be the single most extraordinary thing that they have ever done in their life. It should be a place of calm. Now, I raised two kids and usually had other people's kids at my house. And I'm not reflecting on the fact that there were, you know, soccer games going on in front, you know, using the couch as a goal. And I don't mean the normal sorts of things that kids do and the normal hubbub of a, of a, of a family. I, I don't mean that. But for my brethren and I who do a lot of visiting, you know, sadly, worldly homes are, are, are chaotic in our world. You know, the television is up at 8,000 decibels and people are yelling and doors are slamming. What a difference to come into the presence of Christ where there is calm. That's impressive. It is a place where there is order. You know, my friends who are architects tell me that Many homes today are not built with a, a dining room. You know why? Because everybody just grabs food and runs, you know? I want to tell you what happens in our home. We sit down for a meal together. Now, I know when you have teenagers and they have jobs and school, I, I'm not an impractical man. understand the realities of trying to run a household. But is there godly order in your home? We sit down. We turn off our cell phones. Make a note if you come to my house. Because there's an order there. And there is God-ordained order with a man who is the head of the home. Please, if you have one of those texts that says Christ is the head of this home, take it down immediately. You are the head of the home. You are responsible for what happens in that home. Don't deflect that on Christ. You own his headship in your life. You are the head of your home. Let that order be seen. It's not an order of brutality. It's not an order of domination. But God loves order. And in the common order of a Christian home, there are great impressions that can be made. 
There ought to be texts on the wall. I know you all love your Kincaids and your modern art, but I want to tell you something. There's nothing more powerful than the Word of God. I remember that in our home, we had no money. So we had Kember texts. All you Kember relatives out there, forgive me. They were ugly then and they're ugly now, but they were the Word of God, and they hung on the wall with authority and with living power, and they spoke to our family, and they governed our family, and they witnessed to people in our home and people who were out of our home. Put the Word of God up. And even if your neighbors never come to a single gospel meeting, let them read John 3.16 while they're eating their roast beef and mashed potatoes. Give thanks for the food. You're not ashamed to speak to God in front of your neighbors, are you? Most of the disorder that's happening in assemblies today is because people are ashamed of living for the Lord Jesus. Write that down. You're never going to be popular with a world that hates Christ. There is reproach in being linked with a man who was crucified. By the way, if he came back today, they'd do the same thing. So get over your pride and get over your hurt feelings. And understand that people who are treated kindly are more likely to open their ears and listen to what you have to say. Oh, and give thanks for the food. Was I on that? I think I was. Because a wise man can preach a whole gospel message while giving thanks for meatloaf. Hmm? In your home, above all, love them with all your heart. This is a loveless world filled with people with broken hearts. And underneath the veneer of civility and civilization lies a world of weeping, hurting people. And the love of Christ is the single most persuasive thing that they will ever meet. And God expects them to find that when they meet you. We need to insert God into every conversation. We need to say things like, God is good. If the Lord will, make sure that God is not far from our hearts. Make sure He's not far from our lips. You don't have to preach to your neighbors. But you can let them know that God is the most important thing in your life. Have a positive outlook about spiritual things. You know what my neighbors spend a lot of time talking about? I, I live in a town that is relatively church-going. And there are a couple of very large denominational churches that suck up a lot of people. And... Um, one of the things that everybody in town likes to do, it's almost a blood sport, is criticize the latest pastor. And uh, if you have coffee or if you're eating, you know, it's, it's, it, there's a whole lot of talk going on about what's wrong with the church that they go to. I'm, I'm, I'm just absolutely astonished at their loyalty to places that they hate. But there it is. You know, let's make sure, oh, well, but let's, let's just do a little role playing just for a second. Is that all right? Just so we can, it's middle of the afternoon and lunch is weighing heavily on your sleep nerve. Um, you know, suppose you meet an old friend in, in the grocery store 
and uh, they say to you, um, what about that, that church? That you, you still go to that gospel room hall building thing? Do you still do that? Yeah, oh yeah, 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 we still do. And, um, and well, just tell me one more time, what, what's, what's that light? Hmm. Wow, what an opening. Well, we have no pastor. Wow, that's impressive. And uh, we have no music. Literally, sometimes. And uh, no collections, and no women are allowed to talk, and no name. And about that time, you ask them to come to meeting, and what do you think the first word that's going to come to mind? Oh, well, you all answered your own question, right, because they learned it from you. Don't you think that there might be a better way of talking about things that are dear to you? Instead of saying we don't have a pastor, why don't you just say we have an elder-led congregation? I mean, that's simple. You could learn that. Instead of saying no music, you could say that we enjoy hearty congregational singing and make sure if they visit that you do. And if you don't, fix it. No collections. I, I mean, we're member-supported. That's easy. No women speaking. I don't know. All services are led by qualified Christian men. You know, doesn't answer the question, but it, it gets around it long enough. And no name. Why don't you just say, we take the name of the Lord Jesus. He's the one that we love, and he's the one that we're trusting in, and we claim his name. You see, positive, happy Christians are the best advertisement for Christianity. Isn't that right? Y'all get that? Positive, happy Christians are the best advertisement for Christianity. So I don't know how this is going to work out in your life. I'm looking out at 30% of the population that doesn't own a house yet. So I suppose you could be justified in going home and saying, Mr. Shutt had a nice message for my parents, but not for me. But here's the thing. We don't just give ministry for present needs. We give ministry that invests in the future. And here's the bottom line. If you don't have a house, make plans for the day that you do. And you set your soul. Don't marry a person that will not agree with you on this. That your home will be used for the glory of God and for the good of your community. You know, God, God wants you, first of all. That's, that's indisputable. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants all that you are. He wants every breath and every thought, every motive, every deed, and every word. That's what Romans 12 is all about. He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. But in wanting all of you, God wants all that you have as well. Because just as he gave you life, he gave you everything else that you have. Your house does not belong to you. I don't care what it says at the title company. Your house belongs to God. And I want to challenge you today to use that for him. You know, I don't think that my wife and I have done this perfectly. But we have made it our goal over the past many years to try and before we affect anybody else, try and affect our neighbors for the Lord Jesus. One of the most touching things in all the years that I've been in the Lord's work 
was flying home from some gospel meetings and immediately jumping into a series in our home assembly. And I didn't have time to go around the neighborhood with invitations or talk to people. I never said a word. And I'll never forget standing up to give out the first hymn. And when I turned around across the front of the hall, it was almost the whole neighborhood to hear the gospel preached. I'm not here to boast at all, because I want to tell you that's all God's grace completely. But I want to tell you that it can work. And I've proved it in my life, and I'm looking out into the faces of other people that have. You and I can reach people and influence them for Christ, because this man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. And you know, I'm going to close <clears throat> with a little poem that some of you have heard. I think it's pretty sweet. It, it goes like this. If one soul from my town meets me at God's right hand, my heaven will be two heavens <clears throat> in Emmanuel's land. You're not taking the grand piano, and you're not taking the Kincaids, and you're not taking the 401Ks. But you could take your neighbors and lead them into the presence of Christ as trophies of the grace of God. May God help us to use all that we are and use all that we have in His service because this man receiveth sinners.